think you know. That's what I think. I think you know what we got going on here. What we got going on here is a debate special. That's what we got. And my head looks greasy as fuck, so I'm about to get some powder as I talk to you guys live. Um, you know, I wore powder on my forehead the last show, and God, I looked, uh, I looked a lot better. My bright-ass, shiny-ass forehead under these bright lights um, is not too good of a look. So I'm going to the bathroom. I got the powder here. All right. I will take away my own macho man masculinity card here by putting on some powder as I talk to you guys live. But um, So this is a little bit of, surpri- of a surprise for a lot of you. Maybe you didn't know this was coming. I didn't even know this was coming, to be honest. But here we are. We have um, a full debate breakdown show a full debate breakdown show for you um there's a lot to say about last night's debate and um simply put i didn't want to wait all the way until monday i wanted to get a bunch of stuff out and a bunch of stuff up on youtube so uh here we are um we're going to talk about what the snap polls say so who won in the snap polls? We're going to talk about um, how this will impact the race because, as you know, Biden already had a pretty big lead and Trump was in trouble. He needed a, a really decisive victory. And, he, I, you know, I would argue he didn't get it. I think the polls show as well that he didn't necessarily get it. 
So he uh, he's reeling. And I know that apparently it's now become a meme, me and the gavel, <laughs> pounding the gavel. Apparently I say all the time, I'm about to pound the gavel. And uh, I haven't, I guess I haven't officially pounded it yet, but I kind of did. I kind of did last night. I tweeted a picture of a gavel being pounded. <laughs> so I think that counts. Do I own an actual gavel? The answer is no. I don't own an actual gavel, so I can't officially pound a real gavel in person. But that's okay, because I think you guys get the gist of it anyway. Um, and as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm actually I'm realizing that, uh, oh, there it is. Never mind. Uh, I was going to say, I'm realizing I don't have the snap poles in front of me, but I do now, bitch. But I do now. Okay, so uh, I have like, it's not going to be a, a particularly long show today because I'm just going to do uh, the clips that I found noteworthy. So, I, you know, it'll probably be about an hour. Um, I'll give you my overall breakdown and then I'll show you the specific clips that stuck out to me. And by the way, uh, just real quick, I want to give a, a huge congratulations to Lilith and D. Liam Norris. They just got married. They actually met through the show, which makes me really, really happy. And Lilith in particular has been a secular talk ride or die since day one. She may actually be the first ever secular talk fan. So, you know, that's a, that's a place near and dear to my heart. She helps me out so much on a regular basis. I wish her nothing but the best. I wish them both, uh, you know, happiness, a long marriage. It appears like they get along incredibly well. So I'm just, I'm overjoyed at the fact that uh, they got married and they're going to be together and they're both happy. So anyway, congratulations, guys. All right. So let's get started. Here we go. So we had the final debate last night, Trump versus Biden. And um, I have to say, I do, I'm probably the only person who wishes there was another one. I just feel like the three debates for the general election has become a bit of a tradition. And so we're not going to have that tradition anymore, or at least this election cycle, we're not going to have it. And uh, I don't like that. I, I want to see a third debate, even though I'm sure a lot of you guys don't. A lot of you guys probably didn't even want to see a first debate. But um, I know that both these characters piss people off for understandable reasons, but I would like to see a third debate. But anyway, so what are the big takeaways from this debate, in my opinion? Now, I'm going to get to the snap polls in a little bit, and, and we'll dive into that. But uh, in my opinion... The big takeaways are, and I, and I watched it twice, watched it once live and, and soaked it in and, and live tweeted it, and then I watched it afterwards to get some clips to break down for you lovely people. Um, Biden was more coherent than he was in the last debate. He was sharper than he was in the last debate. Towards the end, he kind of tapered off a little bit because whatever drug he was on was <laughs> wearing off, but he was pretty sharp in the beginning. And also, he was really, really aggressive. So Biden was aggressive. He was oftentimes on the offense. And um, Trump started out way too restrained and passive. Now, he loosened up in the second half, but at the beginning, you could tell that his staff had told him, dude, you got to act more presidential. you got to act more presidential. You can't interrupt like crazy. Now, by the way, they changed the mics and they muted the mics when the other person was talking. I didn't like that idea originally. After watching the debate last night and seeing that that function wasn't abused, I actually did kind of like it. I'm kind of flipping my opinion on the, mute, the, the muted mic thing because you actually heard them 
give their answers as opposed to just barking over each other like the two out-of-touch grandpas they are. It seems like, you know, they're 87 years old and they went for the morning special at, at Denny's or whatever, and they're about to fight in the parking lot. At least that's what the last debate was like. Um, so Trump was too restrained and passive, trying too hard to be presidential. And um, it was funny because there were times where the moderator would say something and he would be like, thank you for that question. I appreciate it. And you're watching this like, oh my God, dude, we see what you're doing. Like, we, know, we know this is not you. We know how you are when you're being normal Trump. And it was just like, it was too over the top. Um, now, the other thing is, in my opinion, Trump's attacks were far too niche. Is that how you say it? Niche? 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 I think it's niche. Whatever. You get the point. His attacks were far too in that right-wing bubble. He kept wanting to, like, go back to Hunter. And are there, are there legit aspects to the Hunter story? Of course. I think it's pretty clear that what went on with Hunter and Joe, it's corruption. It is what it is. But the other thing is that's incredibly common in Washington, and it's not like he's uniquely bad. The Clinton Foundation is corrupt, and Trump is massively corrupt as well with making $73 million from foreign investors and Jared and Ivanka making $135 million in just one year. And a lot of that money's coming from foreigners. And then he approves weapons deals and whatnot. So I think, honestly, I think they're all corrupt, but he keeps diverting back to Hunter as if that's like going to override the economy, COVID. And I don't think it's landing in, in the same way that a lot of Trump's attacks on Hillary landed. Um, so Trump's attacks were too much in his own right-wing bubble. He's drunk on Fox News and One American News Network. Um, Biden succeeded on the issue of COVID. He hammered him on COVID over and over. And I do think Biden um, succeeded on the big picture issues. Whenever we got to a big pic picture issue, and you'll see this later, he actually looked a lot more populist than Trump. And of course, in 2016, if you recall, that wasn't the case. Trump looked more populist than Hillary. So, I mean, that's really bad for Trump. So Trump, in my opinion, needed a big W. He needed to win this debate and win it decisively, and he just didn't. I think the best case scenario you can make for Trump is that it was a tie. I think that's the best case scenario um, for Trump. Now, the reality is, and again, I'll get to the polls here, people are not saying that. People think Biden won. So the, the best lines of the debate, and, and the worst, actually. Let's dive into the worst as well. So Biden's worst lines, I hated everything he said about Russia. He kept going back to Russia. The Democrats really rely on that as a crutch to deflect from any and all issues where they're uncomfortable talking about it. So, you know, a lot of the, the recent leaks and the emails that we're getting from Giuliani, who's getting it from sketchy sources, but like, the Democrats should throw a wet blanket over all of it, and Biden would just be like, Russian disinformation. And it's like, there's no indication that any of that stuff is actually untrue. So in other words, the leaks are real. Is it possible it's coming from questionable sources? Yes. But that's irrelevant. If the substance is real, you have to address the substance. And they're not addressing the substance because they can address the substance. So I hated that he kept going back to Russia. He did it like three or four times uh, throughout the course of the night. And it's like, the Democrats have got to let this go, but they're never going to let it go. Um, the other thing is, I think Biden did terrible on foreign policy because he was more hawkish than Trump. He sounded more hawkish than Trump, and it was like on purpose that he was doing that. It wasn't just like an accident, a framing issue. He's legit more hawkish than Trump, in particular on the issue of North Korea. 
And again, I'll, I'll get to that later on. Um, Trump's worst parts, COVID, COVID, COVID. He got hammered over and over on COVID. He's just, he just looks like an idiot on COVID. He's not up to the challenge. He loves to go right back to the talking points of like, we have to open up, we have to open up, we got to do what we got to do, we have to open up. And it's like, that's not, but you're not addressing the actual issue, which is COVID. In order to open up, you have to control the virus. You're not controlling the virus. You're skipping that part and going to, let's open up. But if we have 220,000 Americans who are dead and we're, we're going to have a hell of a lot more, then you have to address that. You can't just skip that and say, all right, but the economic part. Well, the economy is not going to fully recover until the virus is under control and you have no real plan to get the virus under control. So I think he did terrible on COVID. I think on economic issues, Biden had a few moments where he surprised me where he like really defended uh, the minimum wage increase, the idea of a minimum wage increase. Uh, he really defended working class people because Trump kept bringing up the stock market as an indicator of economic wealth, uh, economic health of the country. And Biden was like, no, uh, you know, the people where I'm from in Scranton, Pennsylvania, they don't own stocks. It's not about that. So I thought that was really good. So and there were a couple things I could have picked for the best line. For Biden, I'm actually still not sure if this is the number one in my mind, but it's up there. He had this line when Trump kept going back to his typical talking point of like, the blue states, these bad, terrible, evil blue states, and you want me to bail them out? I don't want to bail them out. I don't want to do that. Um, Biden responded by saying, you keep saying blue states. I don't look at our country and see blue states and red states. I see the United States of America. And a president should be president of the entire United States of America. You know, hey, if I wanted to be a prick, I could point out that the biggest surges recently of COVID are in red states. But I'm not going to do that. And I wouldn't do that because they're Americans. We're all Americans. Now, listen, that's kind of corny and hokey, but it worked. It landed. It landed. This is Biden's shtick. Biden's shtick is I'm going to go right back to the, you know, he's a moderate Republican, basically. And I'm going to go right back to the, oh, let's come together. Let's be bipartisan. Let's, you know, we're all Americans. And it's cheesy as hell. But yes, when you have a president who just pours fuel on the fire every single day of division and hatred, a lot of normal people are going to look at that and go, yeah, that sounds, that sounds a lot more presidential and I like that. So listen, it is what it is. I think that was a very effective line. Biden had some other lines that were good. He brought back malarkey which made me happy. That was funny. Um, now, Trump's best line, and Trump will get no credit from this from the media. In fact, the media will cover for Biden. I've seen them do it a million times. But Trump's best line was when they were talking about immigration and they were talking about child separation, Trump said to Biden repeatedly, who built those cages, Joe? Who built those cages? Who built them? And Biden was like, I didn't see what had happened was the sun was in my eyes, and I seen the thing over there when it, Frank and them was at the Safeway, and then what, I don't, uh, new phone, who this? He didn't have an answer, because they did build the cages. There was that, you know, story that blew up where under the Trump administration, one of the newspapers covered the story, this immigration story. They had a picture of a kid in a cage, and everybody got mad at Trump, and then come to find out, it was taken in 2014! When Biden and, and Obama were president. Now, that doesn't mean Trump's been good on immigration. He hasn't been, of course. But it is true that they built those cages. So, you know, I think that was Trump's best line by far. Trump did. Trump picked it up in the second half. 
He was too restrained in the first half. Biden was really good in the first half. Tapered a little bit in the second half, but I think still, even best case scenario for Trump in the second half, it was still a tie with Biden. So um, now the snap polls. Now the snap polls. We have uh, YouGov. Biden, 54% say he won. Trump, 35% say he won. That's Biden plus 19. CNN snap poll. Biden, 53%. Trump, 39%. Plus 14 for Biden. Data for progress. Biden, 52%. Trump, 41%. That's plus 11 for Biden. Now, the, funny, the funniest thing ever is that Trump is tweeting these, like, Daily Wire Twitter polls, and it's like, 96% or 94% say Trump won, and he's like, see? <laughs> he's such a goofball. He's such a goofball. But I will say, yes, these are solid victories for Biden, but at the same time, you go back and look at the official polls on the debates in particular with Hillary. Hillary was winning, like, 60% in every debate, and she lost the general election. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. Um, but really, overall, again, Trump needed a big W because he's behind like eight or nine points on average. Um, and he didn't get a big W. And I discussed this on Rising the other day. But when you look at the electoral map, even if you take the, take the polls – and do the exact same calculations as the 2016 election. So in other words, all the states where there were like a two or three point swing in Trump's direction on election day, take the map now and do all of that math. So in other words, this is a point for all the people out there who are to one extent or another poll truthers and they say the polls are fake, they don't matter and all this stuff. Um, If you do that math and you do the pro-Trump swings, just like 2016, Biden still wins, this is the exact number, 362 electoral votes. So in other words, as of right now, it's a fact. It is way more likely that Biden wins over 400 electoral votes than it is that Trump gets to 270. You know, again, one of his absolute must-win states, must-win states, is Pennsylvania. For Trump, he has to win it to have any prayer, any six points down there. So, you know, listen, I told you guys I've been flirting with pounding the gavel for a long time. It's pounding. It's pounding. It's pounding. Um, not only is Biden going to win, he's going to win over 300 electoral votes. The magic is no longer there for Trump. Now, is it possible he shocks the world and does, does it again? Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, anybody who plays poker knows very well that even if Biden has a 90% chance of winning, 90% chance of winning, one out of 10 times, you don't win. You know, I've been 95%, 98% going into the river playing Texas Hold'em and been outdrawn. It's happened countless times. So, you know, the actual number, by the way, is 87% likelihood that Biden wins at the moment. Um, That means there's still a 13% chance he loses. But, you know, insofar as you can make any political prediction, what's happening right now is a hell of a lot more concrete than 2016, than 2012, 
than 2008. And I think what happened was now people are overcorrecting. They're overcorrecting. So in other words, Trump pulling it out at the last minute in 2016 has now led people to this default assumption that, well, obviously, that's likely to happen this time. And that really is an overcorrection because he's got to be within striking distance. And right now, he's just not within striking distance. So listen, hide Joe Biden. If you hide Joe Biden from now until Election Day, I really think it's over. I really think it's over. So listen, there you have it. We'll see. We'll see. We'll all watch it together. We'll all see what happens together. And um, no matter what, it will not be a dull moment. That's for damn sure. Okay. All right, now let's get into the specific clips. Here we go. Joe Biden's strongest moments during the debate, I think they were on COVID. I think COVID's like one of the top issues for the American people. It's not the top issue. And he just hammers Trump over and over and over, just relentless offense on this issue. And you could tell this is an area where Trump is really uncomfortable because he doesn't really have answers on COVID. What he has is this mental process where he wants to skip ahead and say, but we got to open up. And it's like, well, no, see, you just went to the economy when you were asked about the virus. We got to open up the country. Okay, but you're talking about the economy. You were asked about the virus. What are you going to do about the virus? Something, something, therapeutics, there's a cure, vaccine, whatever, we're working on it, get off my ass. That's basically what it is. Won't even do, you know, a national mask mandate. He waffles on masks all the time. He's just not taking it as seriously as he should be. And so Biden pounces on that over and over. He, he, I think, did well. Biden did well on the economy. I think Trump did a little better on foreign policy. Trump did kind of, I think, kind of clipped Biden on immigration, believe it or not, because he said to Joe, hey, who built those cages? You guys did. Um, but here is, honestly, one of Biden's uh, better moments during the night. And this is actually early on, too. So let's take a look, and then we'll discuss. 99.9 of young people recover. 99% of people recover. We have to recover. We can't close up our nation. We have to open our school, and we can't close up our nation, or you're not going to have a nation. And, of course, the CDC has said young people can get sick with COVID-19 and can pass it. But, President Biden, I want to talk broadly about strategy, though. Can I respond to that? 30 seconds, please, and I have a question. No, number one, he says that we're, uh, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. That man or wife going to bed tonight and reaching over to try to touch their out of habit where their wife or husband was is gone. Learning to live with it. Come on. We're dying with it because he's never said, he said it's dangerous. When's the last time? Is it really dangerous still? Are we dangerous? You tell the people it's dangerous now? What should they do about the danger? And you say, I take no responsibility. 
Let me talk about your Excuse me, I take, photo, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault that it came here. It's China's fault. And you know what? It's not Joe's fault that it came here either. It's China's fault. They kept it from going into the rest of China for the most part, but they didn't keep it from coming out to the world, including Europe and ourselves. Vice President Biden. The fact is that when we knew it was coming, when it hit, what happened? What did the president say? He said, don't worry, it's going to go away. Be gone by Easter. Don't worry. Warm weather. Don't worry. Maybe inject bleach. He said he was kidding when he said that. A lot of people thought it was serious. A whole range of things the president has said. Even today, he thinks we are in control. We're about to lose 200,000 more people. President Trump. Look, perhaps just to finish this, uh, I was kidding on that, but just to finish this. I love that part. <laughs> You know, when he says, just to finish this, this is him saying, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm not doing well on this topic. Let's wrap it up, skis. That's what's going on there, for sure. <laughs> look, okay, look, Joe, just to finish this, by the way, I was kidding about the injecting the bleach thing. You were kidding about the injecting the bleach comment. You were kidding. Is that, is that the place to try your new stand-up routine? In a daily press briefing about a deadly pandemic? <laughs> what? I mean, come on, dude. Who are you kidding? Yeah, it was the injecting of the bleach, and I was saying you get the sun, sunlight inside the body, inside the body. Cut to, you know, people spreading apart their ass cheeks and trying to get sun right in their asshole. Is this going to kill the COVID? I think it's going to kill the COVID. Spread it a little more. <laughs> come on, dog. This is ridiculous. Okay, so, um, yeah, look, look, Biden, the thing that's actually impressed me about Biden is that he's remembering a lot of these little things to jab Trump on, whether it's the inject bleach thing or whether it's the, it's going to go away by Easter, the heat, the heat is going to come in, it's going to go away by Easter. I remember when Trump was saying that. Um, he, he seems to remember, like, all of those, all of those little nuggets, all those, like, things that were really embarrassing at the time but we've just gotten used to it with Trump where he hits us with some shit every single day that like is outrageous. So you forget the thing he said that was outrageous six and a half weeks ago. Biden seems to, he's been, I guess his people coached him really well. Like you got to hit him on this, got to hit him on this, got to hit him on this. And listen, it is working. Um, now the best parts there, Biden's line of, he says, we're learning to live with it. We're learning to die with it. I mean, yeah, 220,000 Americans dead. That's exactly right. We're learning to, like, we're, we're growing a thick skin to wanton death. I mean, the number of people who've died in this thing, it's outrageous. And I know the right-wingers like, yeah, but they're old and they have pre-existing conditions. Those people count. Those people count. You know, these are the same people who cried about death panels under Obamacare. By the way, they didn't exist. The death panels are the for-profit health insurance companies. But death panels, they want to kill your grandma. And then you turn around and say, it's totally cool if grandma dies from the pandemic because she's old. What are you going to do? <laughs> Those people count. Old people count. For Christ's sake, how do you not realize that? Okay. Um, so that line was great. Learning to live with it. They're learning to die with it. And this is something Biden has in a similar fashion to what Trump has. Trump is a very punchy talker. He just hits you over and over with the point. There's, very, there's not that much meandering. When Biden's on, he's the same way. It's a, it's a punchy, like every line, I'm saying some shit. And, and it's a hit. Everyone is a hit. 
And so, you know, Trump when he's on is like that, but Biden when he's on is like that. And like I said, Biden was on the good stuff last night, and he was, he was firing on all cylinders. Um, and then the most hilarious part people are pointing out is when Trump says, listen, listen, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault. It's China's fault. <laughs> what? I take full responsibility. It's not my fault. I take full responsibility. It's not my fault. You contradicted yourself. There wasn't even three seconds between the contradiction. It was instant. It was an instant contradiction. I, I can't. I can't with this guy. It's so funny. He doesn't think logic exists for him. Like, he thinks he could just override logic with, with bravado. Listen, listen. I take full responsibility. It's not my fault. Blame China. The buck stops with you when you're president, okay? Yes, it started in China. But, yeah, pandemics sometimes start other places. So what are you going to do about that? How are you going to address this? And the fact of the matter is, when you look at the United States of America versus other developed countries, our metrics are terrible. We did not handle this virus well. We did not handle it well at all. We could have handled it a lot. Look at New Zealand. Look at how New Zealand handled it. I mean, there are so many examples of countries that were more successful. And by the way, what's the old saying? Success has a thousand fathers. There were a bunch of ways you could have handled this virus to get it under control, and they did none of the ways. They did none of them. I always point to the Japan model. They only did limited economic shutdowns. They didn't do a total economic shutdown. And early on, they only had a thousand COVID deaths when we were already probably over 80,000, 100,000. I mean, it's incredible, man. It's incredible. Now, the final point on this is Trump keeps walking into this trap. He keeps messing up. The very first thing he said, you didn't see it in this clip, but the very first thing he said on COVID, because that was the first question was on COVID. The very first thing he said was, you know, we were supposed to lose over 2 million people. It was, you know, they, the experts were saying we're probably supposed to lose over 2 million people. So in other words, his point is, hey, we handled it really well because we were supposed to lose 2 million. Don't worry, we only lost 220,000 so far. This is one of those issues where Trump's instinct is to always counter-market. Counter-market. Everything is a PR problem to him. But the problem is with certain issues, your marketing cannot override the objective reality. So the way a leader would deal with this is a sober analysis and say, okay, this is unacceptable. We can't have this many people dying. Here are our rational steps to how we beat this. And don't worry we're going to get through this together as a nation. We're going to come together. We're going to unify, and we're going to beat this thing. This is what a leader does in a time of crisis. Trump doesn't have that in him because everything is a marketing problem. So his instinct is, oh, you're bringing up that 220,000 Americans are dead, and that's terrible. Well, I'm going to say it could have been 2 million. So actually, maybe I did a wonderful job. Many people are saying we did an incredible job with the 220,000 dead. 220,000 dead, it's the best ever 220,000 dead you've ever seen in your life. This is what we're talking about, folks. Many people are saying this. And it's like, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Because no matter how hard you try, you cannot get that idea to land with people, except for his 35% base that's always there. Everybody else. A lot of Republicans, independents, and every Democrat is going to be like, don't say that shit. Don't say that shit. Could have been two million, so maybe I deserve credit for the only 220,000 dead. Would they grant this kind of leeway to a Democratic president? Of course they wouldn't. 
they would say it's the biggest failure in American history. So anyway, Biden draxed them sclounced on this part. And, um, you know, I think this was early on, too. I think this is one of the reasons why the poll showed that uh, he clipped Trump. All right, next. So this exchange in the debate really, really, really got under my skin, like really got under my skin. I think this was one of Biden's worst parts of the debate. It's on foreign policy. The issue is North Korea. Take a look. About North Korea now, President Trump, you've met with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un three times. You've talked about your beautiful letters with him. You've touted the fact that there hasn't been a war or a long-range missile test. And yet North Korea recently rolled out its biggest ever intercontinental ballistic missile and continues to develop its nuclear arsenal. Do you see that as a betrayal of the relationship you forged? Just 30 seconds here because we need to get on to the next one. So when I met with Barack Obama, we sat in the White House. Right at the beginning, had a great conversation. It was supposed to be 15 minutes, and it was well over an hour. He said the biggest problem we have with North is North Korea. He indicated we will be in a war with North Korea. Guess what? It would be a nuclear war, and he does have plenty of nuclear capability. In the meantime, I have a very good relationship with him. Different kind of a guy, but he probably thinks the same thing about me. We have a different kind of a relationship. We have a very good relationship, and there's no war. And, you know, about oh, two months ago, he broke into a certain area. They said, oh, there's going to be trouble. I said, no, they're not, because he's not going to do that. And I was right. Look, instead of being in a war where millions of people, Seoul, you know, is 25 miles away, millions and millions, 32 million people in Seoul, millions of people would be okay. dead right now. President we don't have a war, and I have a good relationship. Vice President Biden, to you, North Korea conducted four nuclear tests under the Obama administration. Why do you think you would be able to rein in this persistent threat? Because I'd make it clear, which we were making clear to China, they had to be part of the deal, because here's the reason. I made it clear and as a spokesperson of the administration when I went to China, that they said, why are you moving your missile defense up so close? Why are you moving more forces here? Why are you continuing to do uh, um, uh, military maneuvers with South Korea? I said, because North Korea is a problem, and we're going to continue to do it so we can control them. We're going to make sure we can control them and make sure they cannot hurt us. And so if you want to do something about it, step up and help. If not, it's going to continue. What has he done? He's legitimized North Korea. He's talked about his good buddy, who's a thug, a thug, and he talks about how we're better off. And they are, have much more capable missiles, able to reach U.S. territory much more easily than ever did before. Let me follow up with you, Vice President Biden. You've said you wouldn't meet with Kim Jong-un without preconditions. Are there any conditions under which you would meet with him? On the condition that he would agree that he would be drawing down his nuclear capacity to get the, the Korean Peninsula to be a nuclear-free zone. All right, let's move on to American families. They tried to meet with him. He wouldn't do it. He didn't like Obama. He didn't like him. He wouldn't do it. Okay, got to give him a chance to respond to that he before we move on. You know, it's okay. you know what, North Korea, we're not in a war. We have a good relationship. You know, people love us. Having a good relationship with leaders of other countries is a good thing. We have a lot of questions to get yes. to. Not Your to we had a good relationship with Hitler before he, in fact, invaded Europe, the rest of Europe. Come on. I have a lot to say about this one. The comparison of North Korea to Nazi Germany 
I think is ludicrous because Nazi Germany, they were a global menace. They were invested in territorial expansion. They wanted to run the world. So they were coming to your doorstep. That's not hyperbolic. That's what they wanted. That's what they were doing, toppling countries in Europe casually, just ripping through. Kim Jong-un is an absolute menace, authoritarian, dictator, horrendous, every negative thing you could say about him, but it's against his own people. They don't have territorial expansion goals. Now, listen, does that mean it's okay that he's a menace against his own people? No, not at all. But it's categorically different. It's categorically different. He ain't going to do Dickie McGee's acts to you, to America. He's not an offensive threat against anybody. Sorry, that's the truth. And that's the truth. Even our own intelligence agencies admit that internally. Now, what should be done about how terrible he is to his own people? Because he does. He has hard labor camps. It's horrendous. It's really bad in there. What should be done is the United Nations should get involved. And we address this problem as a global community. We don't do it unilaterally. We don't say we're the big macho men policemen of the world who are going to you know, restore law and order everywhere. Because who the hell anointed us that? And we've violated international law many times. Oftentimes, we're the problem. And we have our own nefarious motives anyway. Like, we could go around the world and jack natural resources like oil and mineral wealth. We're in no position to be the moral arbiter of the world. So uh, this comparison is just unacceptable. And what he's doing is he's making it less likely that we open up a line of communication. And by the way, I think the best way to change culture is, yes, you form an alliance, even with horrendous people, because not everybody's Hitler. He's not Hitler. He's really bad, but he's not Hitler. And you gradually open the economy up to Western culture, to Western ideas. And over time, yes, you're going to – you know how you make people love America? The Internet, TV, movies, video games, cultural. It's all cultural. Um, now, I get it. It's going to be hard to get the most – locked down country on the planet, the hermit kingdom, as they call it, to go in that direction. But the way you go in that direction is decidedly not what Biden is doing here, because what he wants is more sanctions. He wants to be more hawkish, more bellicose. That doesn't work. And it's also wrong on principle. It is. Sorry, it's wrong. So it drives me crazy that on this particular issue, Trump outlefts Biden, and Biden proudly goes to the right on this. So, Trump, but Trump, by the way, just so everybody understands, because this is not, like, you can give him credit narrowly on this issue, but the fact of the matter is, he contradicts himself all the time. Like, he just said, having good relationships with other countries is positive. Okay, so why aren't you doing that with Iran? The thing is, Trump wants a, a nuclear agreement like we have with, had with Iran. He wants that kind of an agreement with North Korea. Okay, good. I agree with that. Get the deal with North Korea. I'd take those exact same terms for North Korea. But why did you rip up the deal with Iran? Because he's an idiot and he doesn't have a coherent philosophy and his whole, like, I really do think a lot of what Trump does is just 
an anti-Obama streak. Whatever Obama did, I'm going to do the opposite. So Obama got the peace deal with Iran. He wants to rip it up. Obama didn't get the peace deal with North Korea, so Trump wants to get a peace deal with North Korea because he's an idiot. Okay, But anyway, listen, I digress from that point. That's not the point of this segment. The point of this segment is to say, Democrats, stop going to the right of Republicans on foreign policy on any issue. Yes, Biden is to the left of Trump on Iran, but Trump is to the left of Biden on North Korea. So, by the way, let's go through this a little more specifically. The question is framed from the right. It's a terrible question, fear-mongering about North Korea developing weapons. Why? Why are they developing weapons? Why are they developing? Are they going to launch on Toledo any minute? No, it's for deterrence. That's the open secret that they don't allow you to say. This is viewed as too politically incorrect. You're not allowed to say this, even though it's accurate. They're building weapons for deterrence. They see what we did to Libya, for example. Gaddafi gave up his weapons, and then we toppled him anyway. So why would they give up their weapons? Of course they want more weapons, to make sure we don't overthrow their government. <laughs> They're, it's, it's a logical deterrence, and we have to pretend in America, like, no, maybe they want to attack Cleveland. Um... Biden said, listen, under Obama, we put more missiles on their border. We put more troops on their border. We did those exercises, military exercises on their border. And basically what he's saying is we're doing that to control them, and I would do more of that. And Trump's position is basically the opposite. Like, let's not do – that's an unnecessary escalation with them. Let's not do that, and then they'll be more likely to work with us, and they'll be more likely to open up and not be aggressive. On that, sorry, Trump is right. You can't just casually do military exercises – that are aggressive on some country's border and then not expect them to respond in kind. Of course he's going to build more weapons. You're basically saying him, hey, bitch, we can topple you anytime we want. Like, that's what that is when you're doing military exercises on his border. That's a right-wing position. It's a neoconservative position. It's a hawkish, hawkish position. And this is what Biden is taking. Then Biden says, oh, Trump legitimized this thug, legitimized North Korea. As Adam Johnson pointed out on Twitter, It's another nation that exists in the world. It is inherently legitimate. North Korea exists. Kim Jong-un exists. What do you mean legitimize them? They they exist regardless of whether or not you want to put your head in the sand. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous. He's being a neocon on this, Biden is. Um, Then Biden fear mongers. They have missiles that can reach us. They're not going to launch. If you stop messing with them, of course they won't do anything. Final point, Biden says, effectively, listen, I wouldn't meet with Kim Jong-un without preconditions, to which I say in response to him, that actually is the opposite of the Obama doctrine. It is. It is. Because Obama said very clearly in the debates in 2008, I'll meet with all of our adversaries without preconditions, all of them. And that's what led to the deal with Iran. That's what led to the deal with Iran. I wish we got that same deal with North Korea. I don't want war. I don't want war. Do I want Kim Jong-un to stop being a menace against his own people? Yes. You're not going to stop that by sanctioning the country and doing military exercises on the border. If anything, when you sanction the country, you make it worse because then they're starving even more on top of being under the boot of an authoritarian. So, listen. On this one, Biden's dead wrong and Trump is a lot better. Again, Trump's not doing it for ideological reasons. He's a moron, but... He wound up in a better place on this issue. This is one of the rare issues where I think actually Trump is clearly better than Biden. Biden would be way more hawkish on this because he's saying he would be. And um, that, I think, makes the world less safe.
Okay, next. All right, get ready to be miserable. This is the section of the debate on healthcare, and you're going to want to stab your eye with a fork. We have 180 million people out there that have great private health care, far more than we're talking about with Obamacare. Joe Biden is going to terminate all of those policies. These are people that love their health care, people that have been successful, middle-income people, been successful. They have 180 million plans, 180 million people, families, under what he wants to do, which will basically be socialized medicine, he won't even have a choice, they want to terminate 180 million plans. We have done an incredible job on health care, and we're going to do even better. Okay, Vice President Biden, yes, this is for you. Your health care plan calls for building on Obamacare. So my question is, what is your plan if the law is ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court? You have two minutes uninterrupted. What I'm going to do is pass Obamacare with a public option become Biden care. The public option is an option that says that if you, in fact, do not have the wherewithal to be, if you qualify for Medicaid and you do not have the wherewithal in your state to get Medicaid, you automatically are enrolled, providing competition for insurance companies. That's what's going to happen. Secondly, we're going to make sure we reduce the premiums and reduce drug prices by making sure that there's competition that doesn't exist now by allowing the Medicare to negotiate drug prices with the insurance companies. Thirdly, the idea that I want to eliminate private insurance, the reason why I had such a fight for with 20 candidates for the nomination was I support private insurance. That's why I didn't, not one single person with private insurance would lose their insurance under my plan, nor did they under Obamacare. They did not lose their insurance unless they chose they wanted to go to something else. Situation that we actually protect pre existing. There's no way he can protect pre existing conditions. None. Zero. You can't do it in the ether. He's been talking about this for a long time. There is no, he's never come up with a plan. I guess we're going to get the pre existing condition plan the same time we get the infrastructure plan that we've been waiting since 17, 18, 19, and 20. The fact that I still have a little for a few more minutes, I know you're getting anxious. The, <laughs> the fact is that there, he's already cost the American people because of this terrible handling of the COVID virus and the economic spillover. 10 million people have lost their private insurance. And he wants to take away 22 million more people who have it under Obamacare and over 110 million people with pre-existing conditions. And all the people from COVID are going to have pre-existing conditions. What are they going to do? I have a follow-up for you, Vice President sure. Biden. It relates to something that President Trump said. He's accusing you of wanting socialized medicine. What do you say to people who have concerns that your health care plan, which includes a government insurance option, takes the country one step closer to a health care system run entirely by the government. What's I say it's ridiculous. It's like saying that, you know, we're, uh, the idea that the fact that there's a public option that people can choose, that makes it a socialist plan. Look, the difference between the president, I think health care is not a privilege, it's a right. If you think it's not a privilege and it's a right, then you have to be in favor of single-payer Medicare for all. That's the only way to really get make it a right. But he goes on to say, People have a right to, ready for this, affordable health care. Oh, okay. 
So he slipped in the weasel word, affordable. Okay, what if you have no money at all? I mean, I guess you could have Medicaid in that instance. But the real issue is people who are middle income or like lower middle income who don't qualify for, for Medicaid. I think I said Medicare before I meant Medicaid. They don't qualify for Medicaid, and they don't make enough money. Um, and, and they fall in this zone where they don't get enough of a subsidy to be able to afford health care. And there's plenty of people like that. This is why medical bills is one of the top causes of bankruptcy. So, I mean, listen. He said it right there. He said it right there. Oh, I, I believe it's a right, health care. If you believe it's a right, you need to be in favor of single-payer Medicare for all. There's no way around it. And he's not in favor of it. The question was horrendous, by the way. The moderator framed it from a right-wing perspective. What do you say to people who have concerns that this is one, of, that this is one step closer to government health care? The question should have been, 70% of the country wants Medicare for all. They want socialized medicine, single-payer health care. So what do you say to them that both of you guys on stage are running away from this at 1,000 miles an hour during a damn pandemic? During a health care crisis, you're actively running away from the solution. That's how this should be framed. Instead, it was framed from a right-wing perspective. Framed as if the 30% of the country that's against Medicare for all is obviously correct. Like, what? That got under my skin a lot. So um, Trump says, hey, 180 million people with great private health care. They love their private health care. Nobody loves their private health insurance. Nobody loves their private health insurance. Health insurance is a unnecessary mafia middleman, rapacious price gouger. That's whole existence is to be a parasite in between you and your doctor and take their cut and tell you who you can and cannot see, what doctors you can and cannot see, and what they will and will not cover. The whole point is to be an unnecessary middleman that takes money from you. Who loves that? When you poll people on this question, the second you tell people, hey, you can pick whatever doctor you want with Medicare for all, they want Medicare for all. They don't want an unnecessary middleman. People talk about, you're going to lose freedom of choice. You don't have freedom of choice now. I can't go to the doctors I want to go to because my health care plan, they're not covered. They're not in network. God, this is so frustrating. So Trump is taking a stand for private health insurance. Wow, very you know, bold stand there. See, this is what I mean. They're corrupt, and they're owned by the industries. So he thinks this is a duh position. Oh, people love their private health care. He wants to take you to socialized medicine. In a world that made sense, Biden would be like, yeah, of course I do, because 70% of the country is in favor of it. Go ahead. Tell 70% of the country they're wrong, you idiot. Every developed country has this kind of a system, and they're kicking our ass in everything related to health care. It covers everybody. You have better health outcomes, and it saves $5 trillion over a decade. There's no downside. It is only upsides. We have 45,000 people dying every year in this country right now because they don't have health care. And then Biden walks right into the trap. Quote, the reason why I had such a fight in the primary is because I support private insurance. No, actually, people picked you because they thought you will be the best option to defeat Trump. They went with you because they thought you were safe. That's why they picked you. They overlooked the fact that they disagree with you on health care, because, again, 70% of the country is for Medicare for all. That's Bernie Sanders' position. They agreed with him on virtually every policy issue according to the polling. 
but they settled for you because they thought, hey, we think maybe you're the only one who can beat Trump. Totally misinterpreting the entire primary, and this drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Now, listen, he goes on to say things that are correct. He says, listen, I'm for protecting pre-existing conditions. You say you're for it, but you're doing a lawsuit to strike down all of Obamacare, which would strike down pre-existing conditions protection. So I don't know what you're talking about. By the way, Trump did propose a health care plan years ago and had like a 13% or 17% approval rating because it was terrible. It was abysmal. It was an even bigger giveaway of the, the for-profit health insurance companies. So Biden goes on to make some accurate points. He also goes on to say, you didn't see it in this clip, but he goes on to talk about um, the... 20 million people who've lost health insurance since Trump has been in office, which is a devastating data point. You are an abysmal failure on the issue of health care because people are hemorrhaging and losing their insurance as your president. So Biden's correct about that stuff. But listen, I can't get over the fact that in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a health care crisis, 45,000 people dying every year from no health care, medical bills, a top cause of bankruptcy, you have both candidates on stage running a million miles away from the more popular position. It's grotesque. Stop giving in to the right-wing framing when the right-wing framing is dead wrong. But the fact of the matter is, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump represent the for-profit health insurance companies, represent big pharma, represent various industries, Wall Street, military industrial complex. And so that's why the Overton window is so far right and so corporatist is because you can't rock the boat too much. God forbid you let some asshole executives on their third yacht, you let them know, hey, we're not going to let you price gouge the American people anymore, and uh, we're going to make sure everybody has health care. Can't do that. Got to do tweaks around the edges. Got to inch in the right direction. This, is, this was probably the most annoying part of the debate because it's just so out of lockstep with what the American people want and what we absolutely need as a country. All right, I actually have to take a quick break, but when I come back, I thought this was only going to be an hour. Apparently, it's going to be a lot longer than an hour because I've still got like five clips left. We're going to talk about billionaires, okay? So stay right there. We'll be right back. And um, we really are just getting started, even though I should be done by now. <laughs> kind of funny. All right, we'll be right back, guys.
All right, bitch, welcome back. I love how I thought this would be an hour show. And, um, yeah, it's going to be the length of a normal show because I'm a fucking idiot and I have no concept of time. <laughs> I had, like, seven stories prepped and I'm only through, like, three of them or some shit. Um... So I will hold on one second. One second. Okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, where were we? Joe Biden and billionaires. He made it. He had a good line here. <clears throat> So one of the things I've been saying a lot recently is that the magic, the 2016 Trump magic is gone. I think he's focusing on the wrong issues. He just doesn't come across as a populist anymore. He comes across as like a standard Republican politician. And what you're about to see here is a good example of what I mean. So look at what happens in this exchange. This is fascinating. Biden is the one who has the instinct to go in a populist direction and Listen, again, in 2016, this is what Trump did to Hillary. Trump would take something and go in a populist direction, and she would look like the elitist. Here, Trump looks like the elitist, and Biden looks like the populist, and I think this is one of the reasons why he's very likely to win. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Okay, let's move on to the next question, very quickly. The idea that the stock market is booming, this is only measure of what's happening. Where I come from in Scranton and Claymont, the people don't live off of the stock market. Just in the the last three three years during this crisis, the the billionaires in this country made, according to Wall Street, $700 billion more dollars. $700 $700 billion more dollars, because that's his only measure. What happens to the ordinary people out there? What happens to them? Let's talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill. We're going to move on. 401Ks are through the roof. We're going to move on. Stock are through the roof. All right. He doesn't come from Scranton. That's like one of the – he lived there for a short period gonna, of time before okay, he even knew we're it. We're going to move on and to the next left. question. And the people of Pennsylvania Let me move on to my that. next – Oh, Trump did not look good in that exchange. Did not look good. This is what I mean when I say he's too much in that right-wing bubble now. Like, you you didn't come from Scranton. You only lived there for a short amount of time. Only to, like, Hannity viewers is that a burn. <laughs> like, by the way, even if, he, even if he never lived in Scranton, the fact that he's talking about ordinary people from Scranton matters. Matters. So, oh, my God, he handled that so poorly. So poorly. And he... Like, it was almost like a a parody. It was like a caricature because Biden hits Trump on your only measure for what's, you know, working is the stock market. And he responds, but the 401ks? Oh, (laughs) Oh, no, don't say that. (laughs) Dude, oh, my God. We've gone over the numbers before on the show. I actually don't remember them off the top of my head, but it's something like the top 10% of income earners own, like, 80 or 90% of the stocks. It is not an indication of how your average Joe and Jane are doing. It's not how working people are doing. It's just not. And it's such a rigged 
ridiculous system because the way it works is when uh, the stock market goes up, all of the gains are privatized among the top 1%. When the stock market goes down, ordinary people get fired like crazy. So it's like, it's a lose-lose for regular people. When the stock market is doing well, the rich are taking all the money. When the stock market goes down, they fire you. <laughs> like that's how, but he brings up the stock market. Oh my God, he lost all of his populist instincts. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, that line was devastating. The stock market is his only measure of what's happening. And the fact that Biden brought up billionaires there, the fact that he was like, listen, billionaires have made $700 billion more dollars during this pandemic and ordinary people are struggling. Couple this with his Buy America stuff, how he's outflanking Trump on Buy America stuff. No wonder he's up in a lot of the Rust Belt states. No wonder. So listen, legit impressed by this from Biden. Now, his record, of course, is a separate question. He doesn't have a great record on this stuff, but he's talking about the right things, and this is going to be convincing to voters. As I said, Trump needs, needed a big W last night. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. I'm sorry. Call it what it is. He did not get it. This was really good stuff from Biden. And, uh, you know, I know it's become a meme now, but this is the gavel. There's a gavel right here. Pounded, bitch. (laughs) All right, next. I have another example here of um, Biden being more populist than Trump, and he's actually successfully baiting Trump into taking shitty positions. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was very impressed with Biden. He seems to have those old school labor Democrat political instincts, even though, even though he's not really a labor Democrat, he's a corporatist, but he still has, since he's been in politics since roughly 1872, He still has those labor Democrat instincts, and that comes across. And Trump takes the bait, and Trump face plants. This is definitely not something Trump in 2016 would say. Look at this back and forth on the minimum wage. Do you think this is the right time to ask them to raise the minimum wage? You, of course, support a $15 federal minimum wage. I do, because I think one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to bail them out, too. We should be bailing them out now, those small businesses. you got one in six of them going under. They're not going to be able to make it back. They passed a, a, a package that allows us to be able to call PPP. Money is supposed to go to help them do everything from organize how they can deal with their businesses being open safely. The, the schools, how they can make classrooms smaller, how they can hire more teachers, how they can put ventilation systems in. They need the help, the businesses as well as but this, these guys will not help them. It's not giving them any of the money. We are going to move on to immigration, but quickly. I want to get your reaction. We have to help small businesses by raising the minimum wage. That's not helping. I, I think it should be a state option. Alabama is different than New York. 
New York is different from Vermont. Every state is different. It should be a state you, option. You said very we have to help. It's very important. We have to help our small businesses. You, you How are you helping your small businesses when you're forcing wages? What's going to happen and what's been proven to happen is when you do that, these small businesses fire many of their employees. You said Not very recently true, you would consider way. raising the federal minimum Say wage it. to $15 Say an hour. It. You said recently you would consider raising the federal minimum wage to $15 I, what I really an hour. Is like, that still the case? And I would consider it. And to an extent, but in what I really like, what I re in a second administration, but not to a level that's going to put all these businesses out of business. It should be a state option. Look, every in different places, I know different places. They're all different. In some places, fifteen dollars is not so bad. In other places, other states, fifteen dollars. Okay, President Trump, thank no, you. Quick no response, President Biden. Two jobs, one job, leaving low poverty. People are making six, seven, eight bucks an hour. These first responders, we all clap for as they come down the street because they've allowed us to make it. What's happening? They deserve a minimum wage of $15. Anything below that puts you below the poverty level. And there is no evidence that when you raise the minimum wage, businesses go out of business. That is simply not true. We're going to talk no about immigration. Dog. <laughs> Dog. Biden straight Draxin them sclounced, dog. I'm not a Biden bro. I'm not a Biden bro. Everybody knows I'm not a Biden bro. But I fuck with that answer, hard body. I, that's impressive. That's impressive. Keep it real. He ran circles around him. Don, why would you, are you so, how stupid are you, Donald? Minimum wage increases, poll at 80%. 80%. He's preaching to the 20%. He's preaching to all the business owners. There's a lot more workers than there are business owners, bitch. You have to at least pretend to care about the workers, Donald, like you did in 2016. I should be thanking Fox News and One America News Network for dulling his instincts beyond belief. He lost all of his political ability in four years. Wow, I'm really impressed by Biden there. Also because... He didn't back down even an inch on the issue of the minimum wage, and he gave the snap answer to the question. By the way, the question was terrible because it was framed from a right-wing perspective. Is this the right time to raise the minimum wage during a pandemic? Maybe it's not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And Bob was like, of course it is. Yeah, raise the minimum wage, and let's bail out these small businesses. The small businesses are going to go under because of COVID. Bail out the small businesses and pay a living wage. Oh. Oh, I feel so good. Oh, say it again. Say it again. <laughs> that was good. That was good. So he said, yes, $15 minimum wage and bail out the small businesses. Um, and then Trump says, leave it up to the states, bro. Leave it up to the state. So in other words, you don't want to raise the federal minimum wage, which is $7.25, which is what it was a decade ago. It's not going up with cost of living. Did you know if the minimum wage was tied to productivity, it'd be over $22 an hour? Over 22 If it kept up with inflation, it'd be over 12 Keeping up with inflation. Unbelievable. How do you walk into that trap, dog? How do you walk into that trap? So he doesn't want the federal government to do anything on the minimum wage. Anything. And then Biden says, 
No one should work two jobs. No one should work one job and live in poverty. Nobody. That's what Biden said. And then he accurately points out, there's been studies on this. There is no evidence that when you raise the minimum wage within reason that it leads to layoffs. It just doesn't. Sure, if you raise it to 70 bucks, if you raise it to 50 bucks or something like that, yeah, then a lot of businesses can't afford it. But if you're talking about raising it to a living wage, first of all, as a matter of principle, if you're hiring people, you should pay them a living wage because it's, it's, it's wage slavery to not give them enough money to survive. That's the first point. The second point is he's right. The studies show it's not going to put small businesses out of business. What's putting small businesses out of business is COVID, which is why Biden is correct. Bail them out. Don't bail out Wall Street. Bail out small businesses. Okay. I'm sorry, but this was one of Biden's best moments of the entire campaign. It was. I was flat out impressed. Because listen, I got to be honest with you guys. You've heard me say it before. Previously, previously, I thought, yes, Biden claims he's for a $15 minimum wage. I have never heard him talk about it ever. And I think the reason he took that position was because Bernie kind of prodded him in that direction. And so he's like, okay, I guess I'll concede on that one. He probably used to be for like a $12 minimum wage. Um, so I really thought he wasn't for it because I never hear him talk about it. After l- watching this exchange, I think he might actually be for it. Like, I think if that legislation got to his desk, he would sign it. You tell me, dog. <laughs> I'm just your humble servant reporting on that back and forth. But anyway, Trump is in trouble, and this was Biden going full populist, and it landed. All right, next. The portion of the debate last night on immigration was really something else. It was really something else. So you're about to see this here. I think there are there's credit to give to both of them in this interaction. Okay, I think Trump's best line comes out of this. But Biden's also right on some, some bigger points. Let's take a look, and then we'll break it down. Mr. President, your administration separated children from their parents at the border, at least 4,000 kids. You've since reversed your zero-tolerance policy, but the United States can't locate the parents of more than 500 children. So how will these families ever be reunited? Her children are brought here by coyotes and lots of bad people, cartels, and they're brought here, and they used to use them to get into our country. We now have as strong a border as we've ever had. We're over 400 miles of brand-new wall. You see the numbers, and we let people in, but they have to come in legally, and they come in through But America. how will we reunite these kids you, with their families, Mr. They built cages. You know, they used to say, I built the cages. And then they had a picture in a certain newspaper. And it was a picture of these horrible cages, and they said, look at these cages. President Trump built them. And then it was determined they were built in 2014. That was him. Do you they have a plan cages. to reunite the kids? Yes, we're working family? on it very, we're, we're trying very hard. But a lot of these kids come out without the parents. They come over through cartels and through coyotes and through gangs. Vice President Biden, let me bring you into this conversation. Quick response and then another question to you. These 500-plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. they real tough. We're really strong. And guess what? They cannot, it's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. 
Let me ask you a question. They did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to that? They did it. We did not. They built the cages. They, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're talking about. Who built the cages, about. Let's Joe. talk about what we're talking about. What happened? Parents were ripped, their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 sets of those parents, and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. It's criminal. Let me ask Kristen, you about it. I will it say this. They went down, we brought reporters, everything. They are so well taken care of. They're in facilities that were so clean. But some of them haven't been reunited. Good. But just ask one question. Who built the cages? I'd love you to ask of that. Who built the cages? Let me ask about Listen, keep it real. The who built the cages line is devastating. It's true. They did build the cages. There was that famous story. One of the newspapers, it was either Washington Post or New York Times, ran a story, showed the picture of kids in cages, and come to find out, the picture was taken in 2014. It's true. It's true. There's no way around it. They built the cages. Uh, Obama deported way more people than Donald Trump in his first term. Way more. Inconvenient fact, but it's true. Now, in the case of Obama, uh, at least in his last year, 91% of the people he deported had a criminal record. Um, Trump is not prioritizing the deportation of people with criminal records. He's just a scattershot. He's deporting whoever. Um, so at least in terms of the philosophy behind it, I think Obama's was more reasonable. But Obama did deport more. And that's why they called him the deporter-in-chief. Um, now, who built the cages? I'm sorry. That's Trump's best line of the night, I think. I fully expect the media to not um, give Trump credit where credit is due on this. I fully expect them to cover for Biden because that's what they do. They've been doing that like crazy on the Hunter stuff. I mean, keep it real. Mainstream media, they are corporate Democrat supporters, and all their you know, coverage reflects that. Fox News, of course, is the Republican, you know, the Republican Party propaganda network, duh. But MSNBC is the corporate Democrat uh, propaganda network, and even you know, the other – Outlets are more and more looking like corporate Democrat propaganda as well. So um, you got to give credit where credit is due. Trump is right on that one. Now, the rest of it, though, like Biden says, we just saw the story, nearly 500 kids separated from their parents. They came with their parents. And Trump tries to frame it as like, no, 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 they all came with coyotes. And he acts like people who come in this country are all either MS-13 or MS-13 potentially, even if they're kids. And I do think this is a big difference where he's such a demagogue and he is xenophobic and he is bigoted about this stuff. And Biden at least was being honest and saying, no, a lot of times people come here because they're escaping extreme poverty or death because of, like, the drug war. Now, Biden brought about that drug war, so he's to blame for that, right? Like, wrote the crime bill, was a drug warrior. Um, but it is accurate to say not – a lot of people who come to this country, most people who come in this country are actually decent people and just doing whatever they can to make a better life for their kids. Um, now, you might not like that fact, but it's a fact. It's not like everybody who comes in here is a nefarious gang member, and that's how Trump talks about this stuff. Um, and then final point is, and I thought this was kind of funny, Trump goes from, oh, my God, who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages? These cages are terrible. We stopped putting the kids in the cages. That's what we did. We changed the policy. Who built the cages, Joe? So he goes from who built the cages to we have these beautiful uh, facilities where these people are taken care of. Wait, but you brag about being a hardliner on immigration and how we got to be tough and we got to be strong and we got to, you know, law and order. So he brags about, like, 
he's happy we have these tough facilities that show him who's boss and that you can't just come in this country. And then in the next breath, he's like, we have these beautiful facilities. They're taken care of amazingly. It's really incredible. Which is it? Is it like we're really tough on them and we make it difficult for them? And, or is it, oh, we really take care of them and it's, it's wonderful and it's beautiful? <laughs> like you just, it's, again, there's no consistency when Trump talks. It's all over the place. It's scattershot, and that's really clear. Okay, next. Ah! I, I clicked it too fast. I got, um, this is the final one, ladies and gentlemen, final one. I was about 45 minutes off with how long I thought this show would be. All right, so here's one of the moments that Republicans are saying, got ya, to Joe Biden about from the debate last night. Let's take a look. but they're making a tremendous amount of money economically. We saved it, and I saved it again a number of months ago when oil was crashing because of the pandemic. We saved it. We got, say what you want about relationship, we got Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Russia to cut back way back. We saved our oil industry, and now it's very vibrant again. And everybody has very inexpensive gasoline. Remember that. President Biden, your response, and then we're going to have a final question for both of you. My response is that those people live on what they call fence lines. He doesn't understand this. They live near chemical plants that, in fact, pollute chemical plants and oil plants and refineries that pollute. I used to live near that when I was growing up in Claymont, Delaware. And all the more oil refineries in Marcus Hook and the Delaware River than there is any place, including in Houston at the time. When my mom get in the car and when, when there was first frost to drive me to school, turning the windshield over, there'd be oil slick in the window. That's why so many people in my state were dying and getting cancer. The fact is those frontline communities, it doesn't matter what you're paying, and it matters how you keep them safe. What do you do? And you impose restrictions on the pollutions that it, the pollutants coming out of those fence line communities. Okay, I have one final would question. Would you close down the oil industry? Would you close down the oil industry? I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would transition. That is a big statement. That's because a big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I said, here's the deal. But that's a big statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time. Over time, and I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. You won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas. Excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do give right. it to solar and wind. We and have that's one maybe final the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because we basically, what he's saying is he is going to destroy. The oil industry. Uh, will you remember that Texas? Will you okay. remember that Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond, Ohio. and then I have to get to the final question. Vice President Biden. It takes everything out of context, but the point is, look, we have to move toward a net zero emissions. The first place to do that by the year 2035 is in energy okay. production by 2050 totally. Yet again, I was actually very impressed with Biden in that back and forth. They think it's a got you. The Republicans think it's a got you when he's asked, what about the oil industry? Are you going to destroy the oil industry? And he was like, I would transition from the oil industry. Yes. And Trump thought it was like a, aha. He's like, ah, that's a big statement. That's a big statement, Joe. 
And Biden's like, that is a big statement. You're right. And I'm correct. <laughs> this is what people need to understand. They're paper tigers, dog. They th- like they live in this world of Sean Hannity sound bites that really are not mildly convincing under the slightest bit of scrutiny. So he really thought like, got ya. You said that eventually we have to get off oil. Yeah. Can you imagine these conservatives back in the day when our main form of communication was the Morse code? My opponent thinks we're going to get off of Morse code. <laughs> Idiot. My opponent end the horse and buggy industry as we know it. Irresponsible. <laughs> like, you guys are ridiculous. Obviously, we can't live off fossil fuels forever. How dumb do you have to be to think this never ends? Like, what? It's insane, and they casually believe it. Like, well, well, duh. The way we do things now is the way we have to do them forever in every single way. What happened? I thought you were, like, the big time, we like innovation guys. Turns out you don't. Turns out you don't. Um, Okay, so um, he says, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Trump says, that's a big statement. He's like, yeah, that is a big statement. Uh, and I'm correct. Um, and they point out, listen, we got to, like, let's stop subsidizing the oil industry. Again, what happened? The conservatives who are supposed to believe in small government love just throwing taxpayer money at ExxonMobil. He's like, all right, we got to stop the oil subsidies. Duh. You know, we don't subsidize solar and wind, or to the extent we do, it's not nearly equal to how much we subsidize the oil industry because oil pays their bribes hell of a lot more than the renewable energy, uh, you know, people do. So he did well. He did well. He's like, yeah, we have to transition. And now, listen, the criticism of him from the left is his timeline is too shitty. Biden basically says, like, yeah, we got to get the ball rolling now, and then by 2050 will be off of oil. And, you know, people on the left are rightly pointing out we don't have that much time. We don't. You know, climate change is so disastrous like, we have to make that transition a lot quicker. But, you know, Biden says he thinks, oh, it's more realistic to say by this date, so let's do it by this date. Um, you know, either way, I, li- I love it when a Republican politician accuses somebody of something, but the accusation is like, you're so in your own bubble and dating yourself. And the response is like, I'm right. What are you talking about? Because oftentimes you see Democrats sort of run away from their own shadow. And this was a rare instance of Biden not doing that. And like I said, even though he's a corporate Democrat, he has some of the old school labor Democrat instincts. And so he does have that healthy streak of like, shut the fuck up in him, which is a good quality to have. I mean, honestly, if you want to be an effective communicator, that's one of the qualities that makes you a better communicator. If you have that thing where you're just like, where your instinct is like, I'm going to double down. That works a lot, and Biden kind of has that here, and Trump thought it was a got ya, and it just wasn't. All right, guys. I am done, baby. That was a fun, fun breakdown. Uh, Everybody enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you soon. Peace.